Our scripture for today is Proverbs 1 through 1 through 7. It would be Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain <coughs> guidance. To understand a proverb as saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let us pray one more time. Father, thank you that we can all come together in your house to learn more about you. Just let us learn today, um, Kevin preaching, about your uh, wisdom that you give upon us. And I pray that we all can take uh, just some truths and applications from today. And uh, just thank you for this summer. And uh, just let this congregation uh, blossom throughout the uh, summer. And I pray that you can just speak through Kevin today. Give him wisdom. Let the Holy Spirit flow through him. And let us all just love you, Father, and to love each other and to continue growing you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There we go. How's that? Is that better? Can you guys actually hear me? Yeah, it helps when you turn the microphone on. So uh, happy you guys are here this morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, I, you know, I, I say this pretty much every year. We, we, we are always excited to celebrate Mother's Day at Aletheia Church, and yet we tend not to make a huge um, deal about it. And, and, and the reasons are not because we don't love moms and we don't appreciate moms. But uh, I think one of the things I've learned over the last decade or so uh, in ministry um, is that Scripture tells us um, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ and as the church that we kind of rally around one another. And, and one of the specific commands of Scripture that I'm frequently reminded of is this idea of that we celebrate with those who celebrate, but we also mourn with those who mourn. And so a holiday like Mother's Day, which was technically created by our government to sell things, let's just be honest, right? Um, which, which I'm fine with. You know, we live in a capitalist society, and so, you know, we'll just kind of support those things anyway. Uh, but, you know, when we celebrate with those who celebrate this morning, right, it's an opportunity for us to, you know, think about the moms in our lives or the women who are in our lives that weren't maybe even necessarily our biological mothers and, and be thankful to the Lord for the impact that that woman uh, made and continues to make in our lives, but we also mourn with those who mourn, and, and, and a day like today can be really difficult for some people. There, there, there's those who have lost uh, mothers, and so this holiday is a, a reminder to them that their mom's not around anymore. You know, my, my cousins wake up every Mother's Day every year and get reminded that they lost their mom when they were in middle school and high school to cancer. You know, this is, a, this is not a day of celebration for them. Uh, there, there, there are those who are marked by infertility, and we mourn with you this morning because the church can be a hard place to struggle with infertility. We, we, we understand that some of you guys in this room this morning have lost children, and we mourn the loss of those children with you. And, and, and we know that some people, you know, they walk in on a, to church service on a Mother's Day, and they feel like they failed as a mom, and, th and it's hard for them as well. And so here's what I want us to do before, before we dive into Proverbs chapter one this, uh, this morning. Will you take a moment to just silently in your chair pray with me? And I would encourage you to pray for a mom or a mother figure in your life and just thank the Lord for their presence 
in your life and the blessing that they, they were to you. But we also take a moment to pray for someone who you know that this day might be difficult for them. You know, for me in particular, I'm going to pray for my cousins who, who, who lost my aunt when, when they were in, in middle school or high school. But just, just, just pray for them and that God's presence might be with them. So we're just going to take a, a minute here to just pray silently in our chairs. Thank you for uh, the mothers in our lives and the impact and the role that they play. Uh, for, those, for those of us that experienced a, a relationship with our mother that we can look back on and be thankful for, I, I thank you for that. And for those of us that, that either have experienced loss or had mothers who were uninvolved or uninterested or struggled with things like addiction, Lord, that um, you would use this day as an opportunity for, for us to mourn, but also find our hope in you and, and not in another person. Lord, I pray for those that are experiencing hurt and pain today on a day that's supposed to be marked with celebration, Lord. And really, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm often reminded that days like today, even though we create them to be days of celebration, are really just reminders of the brokenness of this world and our longing for you to come and restore all things to yourself. And so... Jesus, may we ultimately look to you as our great hope and our great fulfillment. Encourage the mothers in this room this morning and the women who will be mothers one day uh, to continue to seek you and, and, and your wisdom and your grace, Lord. But may we be reminded that true hope only comes in you. We love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for doing that. If you feel led later today, I'd encourage you to contact the person you prayed for this morning. I think it would probably mean a, a lot to them to know that, that you were praying for them. But um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. Um, as you saw last week, we started a, a new series uh, here at the church 
um, where we're going to be going through the Psalms one week and a, and, a, and a proverb the next. And there's some intentionality uh, to that. Uh, we wanted to take some time this summer, really as a church, to kind of um, instill this pattern in our own hearts, at least from our, our time in, in Scripture, uh, of moving our hearts from a posture of worship to a posture of seeking the Lord f- for wisdom and then moving back to this posture of worship and then moving back to uh, this, this posture of wisdom. And so you saw last week, even as, as Theo preached for us, that um, psalms are, are, are really, in reality, just a, a hymnal book of songs designed to uh, incline the posture of our hearts to remember God's faithfulness and then to worship Him. That's really the, the intention of the psalms. And I, I, I mean, I, I personally love the psalms just simply because they're, they're raw and they're real. You, know, you see these, these moments, and we'll see this over the course of the summer as we look at the Psalms of David in particular crying out to God, where are you? I need you. Why aren't you here? And then the next line or stanza of the song is him cl- proclaiming his love for God and remaining in his faithfulness. And it gives me great hope that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon my level of faith or how I believe in any particular moment. And it causes in me even this ability to be raw and be human and wrestle with the emotions and the failures and the disappointment that life can bring and yet still see the faithfulness of God in the midst of suffering and pain. And so as we start the book of Proverbs this morning, though, we're going to see a little bit of a different motif, right? It, it's a book by design uh, that is really written uh, to, to Solomon's son, uh, but God has preserved it for us in his words so that we might, as God's people, grow in wisdom, and I, and I always say that if, if we look at the landscape of the world around us and we look for people in the world to help us and be agents of change and to be agents of wisdom and to be agents of reconciliation and to be helping make the world more like heaven and less like hell, we should be looking to the church. And so God's people should be a people who are seeking God's wisdom so that they might know how to take that wisdom outside of the church walls on a Sunday morning or the walls of their home for a community group or a gospel community and taking that wisdom out into the world to be agents of change and love and reconciliation to the world around you. And so let me give a disclaimer. As we study the book of Proverbs this summer, you will not automatically be a genius after reading them. Much like I thought the first time I opened up, I mean, I'm going to be super smart after I, I read through these things. We will, though, hopefully, together as a church family, learn, grow, and apply the wisdom of God to our lives throughout our time in this book together. So go ahead and look at verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 1 with me, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be up front with you guys. Today is going to be a lot of just background work, setting the stage for our future weeks in the book of Proverbs. But look at verse 1 with me. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And so here we have a, our introduction to the book of Proverbs. And, and here's what we know about this book. It was written by Solomon, who if you're unfamiliar with you know, the genealogy of the kings of the Old Testament. Solomon was the son of David. And by all accounts throughout the book of First and Second Kings, we see um, per, in particular that, that Solomon was a wise and shrewd king of Israel, which if you have studied any of the history of Israel, 
that was rare. Most of, most of the kings in Israel uh, were not wise. They were not shrewd. They did not love God. You would see maybe three or four bad kings, and all of a sudden you'd see in the midst of three or four bad kings, one good king would rise uh, amongst God's people and kind of re- hit the reset button and lead them back to God, and then that king would have a son, and that son would be a bad king. And so over and over again, but Solomon, by all accounts, was shrewd and wise. He was responsible for the completion of the temple during his lifetime, and he probably led Israel through its strongest and most influential um, season as a nation, at least politically, in uh, the ancient world, in in, in modern-day Israel, the modern-day Middle East. This was probably, during Solomon's reign, the height of Israel's um, influence and power in the region politically. And these are his proverbs. Now, I think before we go any further, we probably need to define what a proverb is. And, and so the, the, the Hebrew word for, for proverb is mashal, right? And my Hebrew was terrible, and in seminary it was awful. So if some of you guys here speak any Hebrew, uh, feel free to poke fun at my Hebrew. I barely made it through the class. Um, but in some original sense, right, what this word meant was superiority in mental action. That's what the, the word meant. And, and, and properly presented in ancient literature, it was often used metaphorically uh, to compare wisdom and foolishness. And so if you read ancient Proverbs, and they don't even have to come from the, the, the Scripture, that Proverbs were also sayings that could be found outside of the Bible. But what you'll often see is this consistent theme amongst them where the writer of the proverb will mention something, and that thing that it mentions will be mentioned as a, a, a maxim or a virtue or wisdom, and then they will contrast that with the folly of something else. And so they'll use things like animals to describe, you know, this animal is pictured as wise while this uh, animal may be pictured as foolish. They'll use uh, common everyday vernacular. Sometimes that will make sense to us and sometimes we'll have a scratch on our head like, I don't really, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a part of first century agrarian uh, farming in the Mesopotamia region. So this doesn't really make any sense to me. But ultimately what the writers were typically going for was this compare and contrast. Let me give you an example. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 15, Right? Look at what uh, Solomon says in verses 1 through 2. You'll see this throughout the book of Proverbs, and we're not going to hit every chapter this summer, but I would encourage you to spend some time, maybe if you're looking for something to do in your own personal time of study over the summer, reading through this yourself. But look at what he says in verse 15. He says, A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word, what? Stirs up anger, right? So here you have, right, hey, how do, how do I deal with conflict? How do I deal with uh, a, 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 an argumentative situation, right? And he says, well, a soft word, right, is going to turn away wrath and is going to cause an actual discussion to be able to be held. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's keep going. It says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour folly, right? And this is kind of like the, the, the theme that you'll see throughout the book of Proverbs. And so Solomon writing this book then in some sense is designed to help his son, but subsequently us, learn basic truths about God and what God considers as wisdom. Now, something else I need to kind of lay out in front of us though. Proverbs would be what we would describe as general promises, not 
absolute truths. So if we're reading through Proverbs and you read Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, and you're in an argument with someone and you, you, know, you bring your voice down, and you're like, well, I really think it was unkind of you to talk to me in that way. And they start screaming back at you and you continue to speak lowly, right? What Solomon is saying here is like, hey, it's wise for you to follow this particular theme or this wisdom that we're sharing inside the, the confines of the book of Proverbs. But that doesn't always mean that 100% of the time that if you lower your voice in an argument, the other person's gonna stop being wrathful and vengeful against you, right? I think another example of this would be in Proverbs 22.6, and any parent in the room this morning knows this to be true, right? That the, the proverb that Solomon gives is that if you train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If we take that to be an absolute promise of Scripture, what ends up happening then if you're a parent in here this morning and you raise your children to know and love Jesus and you teach them about the gospel and the good news of God and what he's done for us and then your child hits their teenage years or their college years and they stray and leave the church, does that then make the promises of God null and void? And the answer is no, right? That in, in the midst of this, that there's a lot of truth, that if you train up a child in what you want them to know about God and his love for them, that they will know that and pursue that in old age, but it's not an absolute truth that every single human being, right, will 100% stay and walk faithfully with God all their days. Just like it's true for some of us in this room who did not grow up in a family that loved and taught us the scriptures and God's love for us, that God was still merciful to save us and draw us to him, even though Proverbs 22, 6 wasn't true of our family, right? So these are general, right, promises, but not absolute truths. And here's why this is important. And here's kind of how I want us to frame our time in Proverbs over the course of the summer. We live in a time period where knowledge and the ability to know things is at an all-time high. How many of you guys have one of these in your pocket or in your purse this morning? Right? Like 90% of the room. Right? I can hit a button on my phone and learn or have right, access to just about anything. Right? If I wanted to, I could pull up my phone right now and tell you the square mileage of Saudi Arabia right now. I don't know why we need to know that, but I could figure it out in about five seconds because of technology. Because of technology and because of uh, access to public education and the way we've designed our culture here in the United States, we are smarter than we have ever been. And because of tools like the internet, we have access to that knowledge faster than we've ever had it. And we don't even need to memorize things because that information is at a push of a screen for us in under 10 seconds. But I want you to think about this. As you think about, you know, whether you're 20 this morning, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, however long you've been on this earth, you've seen these changes of technology in your lifetime. You've seen this increased access to knowledge. But would you say that as a society that has translated to wisdom for us? Has that increase of knowledge even for you translated to wisdom? As we'll see in Solomon's book and share a little bit later this morning, there is a distinct difference biblically between the idea of information and knowledge and wisdom. 
and that God in his word is quick to differentiate between those two ideas and that we as human beings can know a lot of things but not necessarily display any level of high intelligence or wisdom. Right? How many of you guys have ever heard the line about the eccentric genius or the absent-minded professor? Right? We all know right, what we're saying when we, when we use terminology to describe that person. Hey, that person is really, really smart, but they ain't street smart. That person knows a lot of things, but lacks common sense in a lot of basic situations. Right? Like, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm refraining from sharing stories of my eldest son with you guys right now, right? Some of you guys know him. The kid is on an intellectual plane smarter than me at the age of seven. He real dumb sometimes, right? And, and I mean that in the most loving fatherly way I can possibly share that, right? That kid may very well find a, a, a way to, to make cancer curable, but he can't tie his shoes. And so we see that scripture is telling us that, hey, knowledge and intellect are not automatically equal with wisdom and walking through life in a way that both displays that level of intelligence and wisdom to the world around us. And what God wants of us is to see that a lot of navigating through life, you don't need a master's degree. A lot of navigating through life and dealing with interpersonal conflict and loss of family and budgeting and finances and making major life decisions is gonna be a whole lot more tied to wisdom and acting shrewdly than it is with how much information and knowledge you can store in your mind. And God's gonna say to us, hey, it's not enough just to know a bunch of information. You need to apply it. That to, to walk with him faithfully is to not just know about him and know what his word says, but to also apply that as wisdom and walk through that. So look at, look at verses two through six with me in Proverbs chapter one, and look at what Solomon says to his son here. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so we see in these five verses, but specifically in verse two, Solomon puts out the purpose of him even writing this book in the first place, right? He says, to know wisdom and instruction, now, I want to do something really quick. I said we were going to do this earlier. Right? I want to differentiate to you at least the biblical understanding of knowledge, which he says in those verses, and wisdom. Right? And so if you look at Scripture, you'll frequently see the word knowledge described in this manner, a correct understanding of the world and our relation to God. And so if I had to break that down maybe a little bit further, what I would say is, is if you were in any given situation, so let's talk about maybe um, how, how God created the universe. The, the scriptures tells us that, right? Knowledge would be understanding the story of creation and what God shares 
in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we can learn that and absorb that knowledge through reading God's word and understanding what Moses said happened at creation. Wisdom, however, is this Hebrew word hakmah, right? And what that term means is skill in living. Another definition for that would be the acquired skill of applying knowledge. And so if we're using this example of the creation story and how knowledge and wisdom would differ, right, in the scripture, we would say that knowledge is the understanding and knowing the theology behind the creation story, but wisdom is understanding things like the Imago Dei and how that impacts our lives and how we can look at things like racism and class disparity or, or whatever else and we would understand that structurally in society, societies over periods of time have maybe created race or class structures but that in God, man and woman were created in his image and likeness and therefore all life has inherent value and we fight for that because wisdom tells us that God cares about us and cares about that. And so we see this differentiation in the scriptures continually of this idea of we take the knowledge that God has given us and we take that and then we apply it as wisdom and take it to its logical conclusion. And so Solomon shares that he's writing to his son that he may know wisdom, but here is what that growing in wisdom is like. If we look at the remainder of verses two through six, he's gonna share with us a group of synonyms for knowing wisdom, right? He says in verse two that it's instruction. And that idea in the Hebrew is this idea of continually disciplining and growing ourselves. And so some of you guys know this, right? One of the consistent themes in my home right now with my kids is this idea of them learning self-control, right? And every night when I sit at the dinner table with my son, I pause before we pray and I look at him and say, self-control. And he knows that means I need to actually sit in my chair at the dinner table tonight because my kid is constantly moving. You know, if you ever seen him, he's like this, you know, and he's just moving all the time and we're not gonna medicate him, right? We're gonna instead teach him, right, to control, right, his body. That means that the Lord gave him two muscles that sit on the rear end and that those two muscles need to be planted on the seat during dinner time, Right? And he eats fast. I'm asking five, max, 10 minutes of self-control. But this is a discipline that my son is learning, right? And some days he does really well. And then there are other days where he really struggles. And I'm like, dude, come on. We're, we're growing. We're getting better at this. And I would say that when we started working on this with Gideon probably back at the, the, the first of the year, that this is something that has been difficult for him, but he's grown in it because he's taken it seriously, and we as his parents have been there to help him and encourage him and when necessary, correct him. And in that discipline, he is more disciplined at sitting at the table during a meal than he was five months ago. And this idea of growing in wisdom according to Solomon is that if we are receiving instruction, we are receiving discipline, we are being discipled, right? And we are growing in that and we are allowing ourselves to learn things like restraint to learn discipline, and to maintain that path. Another synonym that he uses in verses two through six is words like understanding and knowledge. He uses those in verses two and verses five. And this is this idea that, that if, you, if we want to be wise, we aren't just born intelligent. 
Everyone in this room was born with a certain level of intelligence. Some of it's higher than others. One of the things that was really difficult for me when I moved to Gainesville and that we knew that we were going to have a focus on the campus community is that most of the time I meet people who at age 18 are infinitely smarter than I am. You guys know a lot more about things in the sciences and liberal arts and whatever else. And so from an intelligence standpoint, right, you're way further ahead than I am. Right, but if I want to grow in wisdom, right, what Solomon is sharing here is that I'm doing things like I'm reading and I'm growing and learning. And that didn't stop when I received my degree or that when a couple years later when I went back and got my master's. But that continued even after I finished seminary. And so I do things like read books. Fascinating, I know. Right? But I read books to learn. I might read certain blogs Right, of people that I know and trust that are going to teach me things so that I continue to grow and learn. That if I feel like I don't know what I'm doing in parenting, I'm going to ask other people who have parented kids and I see their kids and I'm like, hey, I like the way those kids turned out. Maybe I should ask that person what they did with their kids so I might learn something from them. Right? And sometimes it means that I, I am watching or learning in my particular profession other pastors preach and teach the word of God so that I'm not satisfied with just the skill level and oratory skills or preparing a sermon or studying the word of God, but to learn and grow. Right? And what Solomon is sharing with his son here and subsequently with us is that if we want to gain wisdom, if we want to be God's people where we're, we're not just people of knowledge, but we're growing in wisdom and the effect that we're having on the world around us, that we're a people of discipline, but we're also a people that don't think we've arrived and continue to grow in wisdom by studying and learning from those that have gone before us. This means that for those of you guys in the room that hate history, it's okay to study history sometimes. Right? This means that it's okay, right? and I say this, right, to study books other than the Bible, specifically if you're in a career path that involves like science or medicine. I say this all the time. Someone's like, I, you know, like, I, you know, I need a Christian that's going to do whatever else with me. I'm like, okay, that's fine, but I want a surgeon that knows how to do surgery, not how to read Proverbs, I want them to have studied that. I want them to have grown in wisdom and stature in that skill, right? And, th and this means for us, right, as Christians, that we are wise and shrewd in understanding the world around us. And this means that sometimes we can even read sources outside of the Christian community to better understand our culture and our neighborhood around us so that we might be able to affect them positively for the message of the gospel. He says later on in verse 3 that if we're seeking and knowing wisdom, that we're seeking things like righteousness and justice and equity. And so this brings me to say this. Guys, wisdom is always ethical. How many of you guys have ever heard this term, the ends justify the means? Yeah? Not, not in Proverbs. God, God doesn't say, hey, the ends justify the means. I don't care if you ran over 30 people to, to do what you wanted to do. Right? That God is interested in righteousness. God is interested in equity. That God seeks justice. And this means what we do matters. Right? And that if we seek wisdom, if we're seeking to restore and seek justice, that we can seek those things, but we seek them in a manner different than the way that the world often goes about it. 
that we seek to do it on God's terms and love others well. Then the last set of synonyms that that God will use here as we know wisdom when we're growing, he uses terms in verse four like prudence and discretion. And what he's sharing with his son here is that to walk in God's wisdom means we have an ability to navigate the path of life in a way that doesn't create chaos in its wake. That we're intelligent with our speech, that we're quick to listen and slow to speak at times, that we won't create division or strife, but instead create harmony. And that if we're acting ethically like we saw just a moment ago, that we'll be bringing life to these situations. And what Solomon's saying here is that he desires this for his son, because he knows his son is about to take the throne and lead Israel and be the next king of God's people. And he doesn't desire that his son becomes more intelligent. I think one of the frequent mistakes I've made over the last 13 years of being a believer is that I've equated wisdom with gaining more knowledge of theology. Right? And so I can talk about superlapsarianism or transubstantiation right? or eschatology or soteriology. And some of you guys are like, what are these words? Words. <laughs> right? A lot of times studying various things throughout the scripture. And those things aren't bad in, a, in and of themselves. Right? But, but Solomon's not interested in the level of knowledge or theology that his son might gain or having 30 degrees from whatever university he might have been hanging around in Jerusalem at the time. No, he desires that his son know the importance of wisdom because he knows that wisdom is only attained through instruction, understanding, ethical pursuit, and discretion. And that will lead to him being a wise and godly leader who will affect change that helps the people of Israel, but also makes much of his God. And guys, here's ultimately what we're after, right? I don't want us to walk out of Aletheia Church, right, as we study the the Psalms and Proverbs this summer, right, so that we're more intelligent people. I think that would be a byproduct of studying God's word, but what I want us to be is wise and shrewd so that we can make much of Jesus the rest of our weeks, right, and go about glorifying him and leading other people to Christ. Because true life is only found in him. And so to grow in wisdom is what Solomon desires for his son so that he can leave a positive legacy and make much of his God and his king. And if you notice, here's why this is important. If you notice a consistent theme in those verses that Solomon is sharing there, that the source of finding this wisdom is outside of ourselves. That the source for all of this is not automatically contained within us, right? As a matter of fact, for those that think they've got it all figured out, right, here's what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but what? Only in expressing his own opinion. Right? So if you see someone that consistently loves to just hear themselves talk and talk about their own opinions, by the way, I'm guilty of that sometimes. If you don't believe me, ask Jackie. Right? I love me some me sometimes. Right? 
was it Terrell Owens made that famous um, when he played football? Some of you guys were like, I don't like football. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was a wide receiver for the Cowboys and the, and the Eagles and the 49ers. But that was his famous saying, I love me some me. At least it was honest. Um, but we are all guilty of this at times, right? That we, or we know someone who is, right? That they are so in love with their own opinion and how it sounds that they never grow and impact anything because they're only focused on themselves. I've shared this before from the stage, and I'm going to share it again. How many of you guys are familiar with a guy named Deepak Chopra? About third of you guys, okay. He's a theologian, a spiritualist. I don't know what term he would use for himself. I think he's at Duke School of Divinity. Um, so so here's, here's what I'll say about Deepak Chopra, because I've never met the man, so I don't know him personally. So as I disparage him here in just a second, take it with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> He is more intelligent than me. He has a lot of degrees. He's clearly more intelligent than I am. But I would say that in any interaction that I've seen of that man talking or anything of his, that I've, uh, his stuff that I've ever read, it lacks wisdom. Right? And, and a prime example of this is a uh, debate that I saw him participate in probably seven or eight years ago. Um, but it was a debate on spirituality, and ABC was doing it as a, as a Dateline or Nightline special. I can't remember what their, sh- their particular show is. All those networks have their own show, and I can't remember what that was. But what they did is they brought on two, two people that were debating over the existence of evil and demons, and then they brought on a, uh, a, a bishop, and I'm not really sure what he was a bishop of, but he was a bishop of something, and they brought, brought on Deepak Chopra. And basically the point of the debate was to you know, ask these two people why they believed in demons and evil, and then ask Deepak Chopra and this other bishop why they didn't believe in demons or evil. And one of the things was, you know, I wasn't really that, that impressed by either side in the, de- the, de- the debate itself. This, I felt like scripture wasn't used enough. I felt like there wasn't enough time. But there was this moment in that debate where I saw the folly of Deepak Chopra revealed before me. And if you don't know anything about Deepak Chopra, he's into spirituality and learning and growing and kind of his, his, his goal and his quest is to teach others to be open to learning new things and connecting with God by uh, connecting with all the different religions and all these different spiritual things, right? And so he gets to this point and he and the, the pastor that's on the panel have hit this moment where they are in stark disagreement with one another. Right? And Deepak Chopra looks at this pastor and says to him, you have placed all of your hope in a book written by a couple men 2,000 years ago. And the pastor looks at him and says, no, I've placed my hope in the person that that book is written about. Right? And so you see this moment, and then Deepak Chopra responds with this statement, and I kid you not, it is the stupidest thing I've ever heard an intelligent man say. <laughs> he said, I am running to those who are looking from, for the truth, and I am running away from those who think they found it. Now think about that for a second. I'm running to listen to those who are searching for the truth, but I am running away from those who think they found it. Now he got thunderous applause for that statement. I mean, the crowd was just going wild. You know, this is this great statement. Listen to that. Do you know what he's just said? I'll never find an answer. Think about that. I'll never find truth. 
Now, he is a professor. He has just destroyed the need for his job. I mean, think about it. If he is a professor telling people, never listen to what I say and take it as truth, he's defeated his own worldview. Right? This is the type of folly that Solomon wants his son to avoid, right? And God wants us as his people to avoid. That in the appearance of sounding wise or intelligent, we actually end up looking foolish because we make statements and we live our lives in ways that say we're looking for truth, but we never actually want to find it. Guys, life is complicated, right? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to navigate it with some wisdom? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if marriage or our careers or raising a family or making major future decisions or managing our finances had some principles and wisdom behind it instead of us just winging it and guessing along the way? I know some of us are doing that in here. I would, I would encourage us to stop doing that. Right, like, I talked to a friend a couple weeks ago and, and she was telling me that she was getting ready to buy a house and, and she was explaining to me that as she was preparing for this, I, I asked her how she was doing because I knew that she had incurred quite a bit of, of debt while she was in college and come to find out, she's like, well, I didn't just incur student loan debt while I was in college, but I also racked up a lot of credit card debt. And of course, uh, like I used to be in banking, so my heart just sank. <laughs> please don't ever get in credit card debt. This isn't a sermon about that, but please don't do that. And if you like just... If, if you need help with financing, I'll send you to my wife because she's better at that than I am. But, like, please, I beg you, don't get in credit card debt. Like, it is, it is terrible and crippling to get out from under, right? But as she's talking to me, she said something really, really wise to, in that and, and, and was proof to me that the Lord was at work in her life and that she was growing in wisdom. She goes, you know, I wish someone had told me in college how stupid some of this stuff was and how naive I was. And then she looked at me and said, but man, am I thankful that I've learned how to manage my finances in a way that allows me to honor God and, and spend intelligently. You know, this was someone that had grown in wisdom and understanding and had applied that to her, her life, and she's nearly out of debt now and about to buy a house. Right? And buying a house is not the measure of whether you've arrived as a human being or not, but it does show shrewdness. It does show that she's able to steward the resources that God has given her in a way that honors him and looks different than the world around her. And it's gonna allow her to speak to other single women in her age bracket that may struggle with finances, right? an opportunity to share what God has taught her. And she may be able to help someone else who's dealt with financial issues and share how Jesus has been part of that process of teaching her how to steward those finances in a way that honors him, but is also wise in the world. So I know some of you guys are sitting here like, cool, Kevin, all right, you want us to be wiser. Like, I get it, right, we get it. Solomon wants us to be wiser. But it's not just me, right? God desires this for his people. And so here's the question I want us to leave with today, asking ourselves. I want you to ask yourself this big question as we kind of, finish up our time looking at these first seven verses this morning. Am I striving towards wisdom? If I, if I look at my life right now, 
right? Me at age 33. Some of you guys at age 18 or younger. Some of you guys are to, towards the, the tail end in your 60s, 70s, or 80s, right? But asking yourself this question, am I striving towards wisdom? And here's some ways to think through this to help you answer that question because some of you guys are like, I don't know, maybe I am, I I don't know. The great enemy of wisdom, in my opinion, is not a hatred of God, but is apathy or complacency. Right, the, the biggest enemy when I go out on campus or I'm around town and I'm, I'm talking about Jesus with somebody, the people that are hardest to have conversations with are not militant atheists. They're complacent and apathetic teenagers who just don't care about anything around them. The great enemy of wisdom is apathy and complacency where you're satisfied with where you're at and so you stay. Look at what Proverbs says later on in chapter one about that in verse 32. Solomon says to his son, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Notice how he doesn't say just the knowledge of fools. He doesn't say the actions of fools destroys them. What does he say destroys them? Their complacency, right? Their inability to be disciplined, their inability to grow in knowledge, their inability to seek things ethically, and their refusal to be prudent and use discretion. Complacency destroys. And God's call to us is not a life of complacency and apathy, but a call towards wisdom so that we might honor him and make much of him. And so, Are you striving towards wisdom? Am I striving towards wisdom? Because no matter where you are, right, the call in Proverbs from God to us is to pursue wisdom. Don't be a fool. And some of us are sitting in here this morning and you're like, you don't know what I'm dealing with, the mistakes I've made, and and the answer is you're right, I don't. I, I don't know what sort of financial mishaps some of you guys are in. I don't know what kind of family situation some of you guys are in. I don't realize the depth of some of what's going on. But I do know this. I know that in Proverbs even, right, Solomon shares there that complacency destroys. But look at what he says in the very next verse, in verse 33. But whoever listens to me, and he's talking about God, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. We are secure when trusting in the wisdom of God for our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you want to start striving towards wisdom or you've been a believer for some time and you're like, man, I'm complacent right now, like that really struck a chord with me when you said that or I find myself being apathetic, let me say this. Verse seven is where we have to start. All right, look at verse seven of Proverbs chapter one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what Solomon wants his son to understand. 
because Solomon was known as this shrewd and wise king where people from all over the ancient world would come to learn from him. They would want to hear from him. They would want to know things from him. And here's what Solomon wants his son to understand. I wasn't just born this way. I'm just not automatically the wisest king of this age. I wasn't automatically just intellectually superior to everyone. Now he says, the source of my wisdom is fear of the Lord. And guys, can I, t- can I share something with you? Because this word fear has been hijacked. Fear is not a bad thing. Fear is good, right? If I told you, right, that fear of walking in front of a moving car, is that a good thing? Yes. If I told you that it's good to fear a fire and not get too close or dive into it, that'd be a good thing. That'd be a healthy fear. If I told you that it was good to fear a tornado and to get to safety, you would say, oh yeah, like that's good, right? Here's, here's the thing, right? Fear is not a bad thing as long as that fear is placed within the context of knowing the power of what you fear, right? Fear in scripture is this idea of reverence and understanding the power of God. To accept the power of something and to give it its proper place is not a bad thing. What happens is, and the reason this term has become so bad, is we give fear to things that don't deserve to be feared. Right? We give someone or something power over us that doesn't deserve it. But guys, let me tell you something. All-knowing, all-present, powerful creator of the universe, that, that's something to fear, right? In the, in the way that you might fear a tornado or a hurricane or the loss of a job, that pales in comparison to the power and majesty of God. Fear of God is, is not, I'm scared of him. Fear of God is, whoa. He spoke me into existence and he could blot my existence out in a heartbeat if he so desired, and yet he doesn't. Right? Fear of God is reverence. And what Solomon says here all of his intelligence, of all of his wisdom, of all that he shares throughout the book of Proverbs on uh, marriage, on relationships, on uh, dealing with conflict, on dealing with finances, on leading things politically, on dealing with people who are foolish. He's gonna share so many different things throughout Proverbs with his son. But he says this, the source of that wisdom is rooted in my fear of the Lord. And he doesn't use the generic term for God in the Hebrew. He uses Israel's personal name for their God. He says, wisdom for me has been knowing who my God is and what he says to be true. God exists What does he say about me? What does he say about himself? What does he say about how he wants his people to interact? That is wisdom. And then he says this. Fools 
despise wisdom and instruction. A foolish person says, I know it all. A foolish person says, I don't need to learn. A foolish person says, I don't need instruction. A foolish person says, I don't need someone to show me the way. A foolish person says, I don't need someone to correct me. A foolish person turns to God and says, I'm above you. I don't need you. Sound a lot like Genesis 3? Because that's exactly what I thought of when I read verse 7. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is a case study on what went wrong in the garden. Adam and Eve were fools. They despised the instruction of God and trusted instead in themselves. And Scripture says that you and I have all done that as well. Scripture says that you and I turned to God and we rejected wisdom and instruction. Right? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I always love in the ESV when I turn to a section and I read the title and it says, God's wrath on the unrighteousness. It's like a Hallmark card, right? But this is a good thing. God demanding justice of his people is a good thing. And look at what Paul says about the human race here in Romans chapter 1. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice how the language that Paul is using here would go directly alongside what Solomon says wisdom is, except he's using it as the opposite. who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I love this line. I want you to pay close attention to verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's how you knew it. And they exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see what Paul is saying here? He's sharing with us that our issue in sin is that we rejected wisdom, and that rejection of wisdom was rejection of God. God is wisdom, and in professing to not need him, Adam and Eve and subsequently the human race after them revealed our folly. And we worshiped creation rather than creator. And some of you guys are like, I don't worship Pisces. Or, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't worship animals or created things. First of all, some of y'all worship your dogs or your cats. Just throwing that out there. Like, 
Look, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love dogs and cats, but let's reel it in, okay? All right, I saw this thing, here, I'm on, I'm on a tangent, sorry, Jackie. Um, so on the internet the other day, people are creating animal hotels where they get their own hotel room and are pampered with room service. Guys, if I find that you were a member of this church and then I hear a decade from now that you are spending your money on that, if I'm dead, I'll haunt you, and if I'm not dead, I will find you. (laughs) I love Fido. Please do not spend thousands of dollars on a vacation for them with you, okay? All right, got that off my chest. All right, now, Paul is saying here, right, that the human race can clearly look out across creation and say, God did this. That they can look at the way that the universe is created, right? To look at the intricacies of the way that, that different, um, I'm blanking on the term right now, biospheres, right? The way that these different areas, right? You have your temperate climates, right? That these animals, right? That they work together for that environment to survive, right? The circle of life as the the Lion King calls it, right? That we see the intricacies of the way our planet orbits the sun just far enough to be warm enough to be able to sustain life and yet we have an atmosphere that causes us not to be burnt up immediately, right? We can look at the intricacies of the way that... uh, the, there's seasons, right, where things die and come back, where there's water su- to sustain life, that we have plants that give off oxygen, but those plants need us to give off carbon dioxide, that we can see the beauty of our planet. And as we grow more intelligent, we see more and more of how beautiful, beautifully these things intertwine and how we need one another and how in God's design our planet sustains life because God created it that way. And then we look at it and we say, Some random amoeba was hit by lightning. Guys, I am not anti-science. As a matter of fact, the more I learn about science, the more I'm pushed to seeing the beauty of God's design in it all. But here is what Paul says, that the vast majority of us, we look at that, and we choose to worship creation rather than the creator. Whether that's worship of self and our own intelligence and what we may learn, whether it's worship of someone else and following them, worshiping something else in creation. I've got a family member, whenever I see her, she just tells me that mother nature is aligning everything for for her. I'm like, what does that mean? She's given into the folly of worshiping the created instead of the creator. And what Solomon wants us to see is the same thing that Paul wants us to see. We've rejected wisdom because we've rejected God. But we can grow and we can understand. And here's where that starts, guys. It starts with Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You want to grow in wisdom. If you're here this morning, I don't know if you're a university student, right? You're a parent, right? You're a young working professional, you're a grandparent. If you want to grow in wisdom, it starts 
with knowing Jesus. It starts with knowing the fear of the Lord and worshiping him. And Jesus' Jesus's life was centered around one purpose, that he came to earth for the express purpose of dying in our place on the cross for my sin and for yours. That was his plan from the outset. And in that, he died for my folly, my foolishness, in my place. And because Jesus did that, I am free to grow in wisdom and to glorify him the remainder of my days on this earth. As we study Proverbs, we will learn a lot more about some basic areas of wisdom, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with finances, how to do, but hear me on this. I don't care how well you manage your finances. I don't care how well you can manage conflict. I don't care how well you can manage your family. If you don't know God and his son and what he did for you, it is all for naught because what you're ultimately doing is worshiping creation rather than creator. And you miss the entire reason why you're here in the first place, which is to know him and make much of him. Church, will you do something with me? Will you commit this morning with me to pursue wisdom and in pursuing wisdom, letting that start with Jesus. And here's something I've learned over the last almost 14 years of being a follower of Jesus. If you pursue him and you start with him, you will grow. Some of you, you'll grow faster than others, but you will grow. It is inescapable. If you are in Christ, you will grow in wisdom. And if you are growing in wisdom, that will be attractive to a world around you because eventually, and here's what Paul doesn't share in those few verses that I shared with you, eventually creation will fail you. Eventually created things fail you. The creator, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't. So I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment, right? And we're going to do what we do every Sunday here at Alathia, and that's take communion and worship together, right? But before you take communion, will you do something for me? Will you pray to God and just say, God, where am I complacent? Right? Where is the, the foolishness of my own pride, of who I am? Where, where is there folly where I'm pursuing wisdom and knowledge for its own sake, but not rooted in you, Jesus? And here's the beauty of being a follower of Christ. You can ask him to forgive you and he will. And then you can ask him to change you. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart to start igniting your passions and your desires in your heart to long for his wisdom and who he is. And guess what? The promises of scripture that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. And so the promises that God gives you and I is if you pursue Jesus and you pursue wisdom, God is faithful to supply it. And that we as a church might be marked by two things. Our love for him 
and living in wisdom that makes much of him. Will you do that for me? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm amazed at how your word is alive and breathing and and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, and how I can read seven verses written a couple thousand years ago by a king to his son, and yet it can cut me to the core of my own folly and and my own wickedness. And yet I am not hopeless because of you. God, I am hopeful because of your son, Jesus Christ. That he came and he lived and he died and he rose again so that I might be reconciled to you. Father, help us to know here this morning, and Holy Spirit, plant this in our hearts to know that wisdom is found only in you. And God, give us a spirit of discernment to see when we are trusting in creation rather than creator. Father, we love you. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Meet us in this time so we might worship you and we ask this all in Jesus' name.